There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that you have brought us this far through the book and of Exodus. And so I just pray this morning that uh, as we come before you, that we wouldn't allow ourselves to be distracted by anything going on in our lives, but instead would lay them at your feet at this moment. That as we open up your word, that we will experience you, learn more about who you are through your word, by your spirit. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So as we were... Making our way again, uh, Exodus chapter 34, last week, uh, we came to that moment where Moses, if you guys remember, he was going back and forth with God. He was asking God not to send him out without his presence being there. And then when God says, my presence is going to be with you, Moses, uh, in a way, doubles down. He's like, oh, God's saying yes, God's presence is going to be there. And so Moses asked a question. He's like, I want to see, see it all. I want the unveiled glory. I, wanna just, I just want to be just immersed in your presence. And, and God has to give Moses... Moses that can't happen. You and your, in your current state are not capable of being in my presence. And he says this not out of because you're horrible, awful, and disgusting, and I don't like you. He says because, because of your nature and because of my nature, it would be like you asking, hey, God, can you just throw me on the surface of the sun? And God goes, no, you would, you would die. That's the question that Moses is asking. Can I have your unveiled? And so, but he, God just responding to this desire to just be just immersed in God's presence. God says, here's what's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be this rock. I'm going to put you in the rock. And then as I, as I pass by, I'm going to declare myself. And then I'm actually going to take my hand and I'm going to cover you up. There's still going to be some veil. Uh, I'm going to allow my presence to go by. But it's going to be a veiled experience more than maybe anyone else on this earth had experienced at that moment. He's going to veil it, and then he says, I'm going to lift my hand away, and you'll get to see uh, the afterglow. You'll, you'll get to see what was the remnant of my presence. Again, it would be as if instead of staring directly at the sun or being on the sun, it's like it's going to pass by, and, and you're going to see as if the sun's setting. You're going to get to see the glory and the splendor, but it's not going to be this unveiled experience. And, and from that, what we understand from that is that God desires for each and every one of you to experience him. But the only way we in this moment, in this nature, have any opportunity to experience God's glory and the fulfillment of his presence is to be securely in the rock of Jesus Christ. And it is in that place of safety that we can experience God and his glory. We see God does this because God is a just God, but yet he is also a merciful God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We saw last week that God and Moses were, were dealing with the consequences of the golden calf. That again, whether well-meaning intention or not, 
that the people had chosen to try and connect with God and to go before him and to worship him in a way that he had already made it very clear by his word not to do. And what we see from last week is that your sin has consequences to them. Even when the punishment is, we see that the people were given the choice. Moses says before them, hey, you can choose to stay in your sin or you can be on Yahweh's side. You choose. 3,000 men decided, you know what, we like this self-worship and they stayed there. And God dealt with the punishment, but by faith, those who made that choice, they repented, changed their mind, and chose the way of Yahweh. When they chose his side, that punishment was not upon them, but yet God says there's still consequences for sin. And the number one consequence we always see is that it creates, it creates a barrier between us and God. That we put ourselves in a position to not be able to experience him in a way that he desires us to do. We also saw from last week as we were making our way through is that we can find ourselves believing a lie that your sin is isolated to yourself. God was making it very clear that when he sends them into the land that what he doesn't want to have happen, he cares about who their children will marry. He's saying don't make these covenants and and don't be giving your kids into this is because what God is making clear is your selfishness is a rot and a cancer that will destroy and affect the people around you and the world around you. And within all of that, God takes them back to the place of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And within that, he gave this comparative of his wrath and his grace where he says that his judgment was to the third and fourth generation. He's saying, my judgment will come upon that person for a lifetime. And there's, there's this splash consequence effect that lasts for that lifetime. But then he does this comparative. He says, but my mercy, my compassion is for a thousand generations. Again, the comparative there, three to four generations compared to a thousand. He's saying, I want to pour out this never-ending grace and compassion. Again, guys, when we sin, we mess up. And there is no greater consequence than than a hindrance to our relationship with God. But what we see throughout this, and what we're going to see by the time we come to the end of this book, is the communication God is wanting to make clear is that he is faithful to his word even when we're not. That is, he declared his nature that he is a God who is quick to forgive, who pours out unending mercy and grace, and he will never change. We saw as Moses came down off of the mountain that he would then decide that instead of having this up and down mountain experience, again, not to not camp as, as we talked about, but so many can have these recurrent things where they, they go up to camp on the mountain and they have the, their God experience and they come back and they get back to normal life and then they go, I need to get back to my summer camp experience and they come back down and Moses goes, man, I'm having great experiences there and, and I'm meeting God there, but this up and down thing's not working and so he says, you know what, God, I want you to meet me right in my home. It says that the presence of God, that Jesus himself entered into Moses' home and Moses spent time with him. So much time with him that when he would walk out amongst the people, he was glowing. The people were going, your, your, your face is shining. It's freaking us out. And so he would have to like put a veil on when he wasn't with God. And then he was like, well, I, have, I already have one level of veil between me and God because of my nature. I'm not going to add something artificial. So when he was with God, he would pull that veil off and he would spend time with God. Now, as we get ready to finish up the book, I was mentioning we're in chapter 40, but last week we're in 34. So I remember going, well, what happened between chapters 35 through 40? Well, for that, I'll have you guys go back and listen to the message of Exodus 25 through 31. Because what happens is from chapters 35 through 40 
is that sometimes even verbatim, you're going to have verses that were in Exodus 25 through 31 that are covering the building of the tabernacle. That, that tabernacle description that God gave Moses on the mountaintop where he literally showed him the heavenly design. And so some might ask this question, okay, why? Is, is God like that student who has a word count and so they're just trying to find ways with extra spacing and, well, let me see, how many, how many thesaurus words can I use to make that a little bit longer? Ah, I got my page count. God is not trying to hit some random page count. So you might ask yourself as you're looking at this, go, okay, if it's 25 through 31 again, why? Why? And you should ask yourself, when you guys go through scriptures, you're going to see moments like this where you're going to go, wait, this is, I've read this before. I, I've, I've seen this before. And I just want to stop you right there and just for a moment and go, got your attention, didn't it? It's to ask, it's to make you ask that very question. Why? It is a literary device intentional to make you stop and go, wait a second, this is familiar. Wait a second, I think I've, it, is, it is intentional by God to get your attention to ask that very question. God, why are we seeing this again? Why, why is this being repeated? Now, in this particular instance, when you look at 25 through 31, I think the best example you could kind of give is 25 through 31 would be if you had a building project and you have people who are designing the building. They get together with designers and they, and they talk about it. And usually what would they talk about? Let's take something like a church, a church building. If you were going to you know, design a church building, most would probably start with what? The bathrooms? No. Who's talking about the bathrooms? That's the, they would talk about the sanctuary. 25 through 31, starting from the Holy of Holies and going out. You would start with the sanctuary and you go through. Then when the contractor came out and he's got the blueprints before him, he's like, well, you know, when they talked about it, they started with the sanctuary. So do we start building with the sanctuary? No. The actual building starts with what? The outside in. We've got to lay the foundation. We've got to set the electrical. So there is a comparative, but the contrast is, even in this moment, is 35 through 40 is the building of the tabernacle. It's going to take a very different structural approach because it's serving a different purpose. One was telling us about the design with its intention and importance, and the other is saying, okay, but we're going to do this according to God's word, but it's the practical implementation of building. Then you also have, again, we're talking about it's repetitive. It's repetitive. It's repetitive. That should do something. Okay, I've heard this. I repeat myself all the time. I'm sure you guys get annoyed by it. I like to drill these things over and over. The greatest commentary on scripture is? Okay, like a third of you know it. I'm going to keep repeating until, but that's the point. Why do you keep repeating? You repeat it enough because you're going, this is important and I want people to know it. Again, God and his intentionality, why did he do that? It's because he's saying, I want you to know there's an importance here. And I think one of the greatest importance of all of this is for you guys to get something even right now as you're, you're, you're reading through this. Instead of glossing over it and saying, oh, this is that repetitive stuff. It's to recognize what that means. There is intentionality here. God, again, is not trying to hit some random page count because there's someone grading his work. No, that has nothing to do with it. This is God going, I have an intention and a purpose. That means that God has an intention and purpose for his word, and he is using literary devices to communicate his intended purpose for you. That is why 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Again, we're talking about the purpose and the intention. Then I said, speaking of Jesus, behold, I have come, and the volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God, that there is an intention and purpose. That all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's repetitive. Yes, that's the point. That's the intention to get your attention to realize that God is communicating to you by his word and that he has a purpose that he wants to communicate, and that purpose is Jesus Christ. And again, to bring this moment home as we end the book of Exodus, written by Moses, Jesus in John chapter 5 was saying in verses 46 and 47, if you believed in Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, yes, we're skipping over it. In your own personal reading, when you hit these moments, instead of going, oh, I've heard this before. Okay, wait, this is literally like chapters. It could be so easy to recognize and just stop in a moment. And I get it, it can be hard to get through some of that stuff. But just bask and take a stop for a moment and go, Okay, there's something intentional that God wants. And when you reach those moments in scriptures, to stop in that moment when you encounter that, to realize in that moment, God has an intention and purpose that he wants to communicate to you by his word. So with that, we come to Exodus chapter 40. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Now again, remember, Moses was at his tent outside of the camp. Moses had his tent outside of the camp, and he was going in and out of that, and he was spending time with God. Again, Exodus 34, 35 through 34 says, But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. We see this again, again, just the, the application here is Moses saying, hey, that, that, that camp experience, that, that mountaintop experience was great, but that's fleeting. I, I want the daily thing. I, I want to spend every day. I want you in my home. I want you to be part of my everyday life. And he did it in such a way that the people could just see God shining off of him, spending presence with the word of God. That's why Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Exodus chapter 40, verse 3, it says, You shall put in the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. You shall bring in the lampstand, the light of its lamps. You shall also set the altar of the gold for incense before the ark of the testimony. And put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offerings before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. I just want to clarify again, because someone might go, well, wait a second, 34, the tent of meeting, wasn't that Moses' house? Yes, but now God's going, but I want my house amongst my people. Moses, you and I got a good thing here, but I want this for my people. And so the tabernacle that he has been giving him the, instruction, the instructions for will also be called the tent of meeting. Just so you guys don't get confused. And you shall set up the laver between the tabernacle of the altar and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it. You shall hallow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offerings and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priests. 
Deuteronomy 7 and 8 will give you kind of a further description of what that is for, for my note takers out there. And you shall bring in his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anoint their father, and they, uh, they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And as we started off this morning, thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And so it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So again, for my note takers, that means we are one year out from the exodus of Egypt. So if you have this, so the tabernacle has now been set up. It has been finished. It's completed. The work is done. They have erected the tabernacle, and it's been one year since they left Egypt. Now, if you take out travel time and the 40 days that Moses was on the mountain twice, 80 days, that means from the moment that Moses came down from the mountain to say, this is what the tabernacle is supposed to look like, they have six months that they spent building this thing. So they have been building the tabernacle for six months, and now on the first month, second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, and set it up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on the top of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it in the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Then he brought into brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the, the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had com commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and he lit up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had com commanded Moses. Hope you guys are hearing the repetition, and kind of going, wait a second, didn't, didn't he say something about repeat, 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 and there's a point and purpose? How many times have we been hearing already through this section? And yes, I know it can be a lot to chew on, but how many times have we heard, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, verse 16, that everything that God told Moses to do, he did it just as God had told him. And he put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned sweet incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And he offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and put water there for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it, whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting. And when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses." Now, whew, read through a whole bunch of stuff. Get to the end, okay. So they've got the tabernacle. Everything's just as God says, and God says, okay, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, Moses, we're gonna have Aaron and his sons. They need to wash up before they come into the tabernacle. This is holy ground. This is, all, this is a ceremonial clean place, and I wanna keep it that way. Where are they? The desert. Okay, so where is this water that they're washing with? A stream? Okay, so they... Oh, time to wash up. Let's go to the stream. They wash their hands, their feet, only to walk across the desert. So by what process are they supposed to stay clean ceremonially with washing the dirt off and then go before the Lord? Now, you don't see it until later. And by the way, in 2020, they found a 2,000-year-old and a mikvah. Now, you won't see this word come up until later. And they haven't found except 2,000-year-old mikvahs, but even a mikvah was something that you would have seen around this time 
where what they would do is they would have these ceremonial wash basins where they would take water, and the water either had to come from snow or fresh drink. They couldn't have water that basically was just kind of stored. They would have to freshly fill, then they would fill up this mikvah, then that priest could wash himself because it was big enough that basically the average male could get cleaned up. Now, these mikvahs show up later in Scripture. In John chapter 2, when there's a wedding of Cana, it says, Now there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. So even here, when God is establishing, okay, you're going to clean up, he's setting up a principle for something that, again, greatest commentary on Scripture, Scripture, okay, God, why, why did you have them do it? Well, you, they got to run, and no, no, okay, you're going to have this place where you can get cleaned up. Okay, is it really that important? All of that. So that 2,000 years down the line, when Jesus comes to a place of Canaan, there's these water pots that Jesus can say, here's what you're going to do. It says that these were water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Just, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them to the brim. They filled them to the brim. Just before this moment, the very last words recorded of Mary, mother of Jesus, are these. When she came to Jesus and said, hey, we've got an issue that needs to be solved. Jesus gives his response and then would tell his servants what to do. Before he tells his servants what to do, he looks right, she looks right at his servants and says, whatever he says to do, do it. In a chapter repeating over and over and over to us that whatever the Lord commanded Moses to do, he did it. He puts in there this symbol of a moment that Jesus would then tell his disciples, I want you to fill that water pot. And Mary had told them, whatever he tells you to do, do it and do it to the brim. Guys, I'm here to tell you that what is happening in this chapter, all of this in imagery looking forward for you to be told in your life now that whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it and do it to the brim. And part of that, guys, is I want you guys to go back to that moment. Pastor Jeff recently covered this, and it is a pretty funny thing. Mary comes to Jesus, they've ran out of wine. And what is Jesus' response? Hey, guys, I want you to fill up these giant mikvahs full of water. Well, well maybe you didn't hear, they need wine, not water. Go fill these up with water. Okay, you say so. And they fill it, and they go, you know what? What is this all about? And they fill it to the brim. And then as they would take that water, he says, now take that water and go serve them. You, you want me to take water for wedding guests who are expecting wine? Go do it. And as they begin to pour out that water, it's such an amazing wine that the head of the whole ceremony goes, wait, wait, wait. Most people serve the good stuff in the beginning, and then once everyone's had a little bit to drink, they sneak in the lower quality wine. You save the best wine for last. Now imagine each one of those servants as they're pouring out going, wait, what just happened? Now go back to the water pots. What if they would have only filled them up halfway? Then they would have experienced half of what God was going to do for them and through them. When he tells you to do something and do it to the brim, imagine their excitement as they go, we thought this was silly. We thought this was water. Look at what just happened. 
and get into experience. Do they start rushing back to the work and go, well, poor little for you and me. This, apparently, this is the best stuff. The excitement, the rejuvenation that would have come from being fully obedient, but if they would have only filled it up part way, that would have been the level to which they experience God's blessing. So whatever he says to do, do it. And do it to the brim. As we've read here in Exodus 40, 16, Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. Verse 33, And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I want you guys to not, again, pass over these moments. They stood before God and said, as he gave them the Ten Commandments, whatever you say, we'll do it. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. He's being shown the tabernacle, and they go, we haven't seen Moses for 40 days. We haven't heard from Yahweh. I know. Let's completely break the first commandment that he gave us. Let's mold something of gold and say, that's God. And God says, I I should wipe them out. He quotes the Abrahamic covenant to get Moses to to recognize the intercession that's needed for people, that, that people in their sin need an intercessor. This perfect image of Christ. And then as they realize the consequences of their sin, they say, if you're not with us, we don't want to go. And God gives them this promise I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I will be there. And even after the golden calf experience, he did exactly what he promised to do to have his presence before them. As his presence fills the tabernacle. Numbers chapter 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And again in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we're told Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I am here to tell you guys over and over that God is faithful to his word even when you are not. What he has promised to do, he will do it. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Again, this is the, this is the moment of the Lord. God has poured out, just as he passed by in the mountain, his presence is in the tabernacle and it's so potent that Moses is like we we can't get in there what's interesting is that we see that when the temple is built by Solomon this exact same thing is going to happen in first kings chapter 8 verse 10 and 11 when the priests withdrew from the holy place the cloud filled the temple of the lord and the priests could not perform their services because the cloud for the glory of the lord filled his temple temple and then as we finish out the chapter whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel will go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So guys, this is an amazing thing. Is what, again, what God did for them is promised to be us is that guiding light as Jesus would later stand and say, I am the light of the world. I am the one coming on the cloud. As he's promising, what they got to see over and over is that when he was presence was there over the tabernacle, they knew, okay, where God's presence is, that's where we're supposed to be. And then when the presence would lift up and move, they say, where God is going, that's where we should be. 
that we should live our lives in the exact same way that where his presence is, that's where we want to be. And where God is saying, this is where I'm going to, well, then I want to be about where you're going. I want to be about the work that you're doing. Now, I had mentioned, again, literary structure. Guys, I don't know if you guys just ever stop for a moment and just really take this. God does not need us. So many people get this twisted. They think that God gave men free will and free choice because God needed our love. God doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our praise. He's good. He's a big guy. He's all contained. He doesn't need that. He has made us for the purpose to enjoy him, to enjoy being in his presence, to enjoy being about his work. And so even when we look at how scriptural is God used man, not because God was somehow lacking and needing, but God wanted to uniquely use human to interact and to communicate his word and his purpose. That goes for every single one of you. That God has given you talents. God has given you gifts. God has given you abilities. He has given you who you are as your character. And he says, this is not because I'm lacking. God says, no, I want to use you because you are unique and you are awesome and I formed you with a purpose. And we see that even how scripture is set together. And so as we get ready to head into the book of Leviticus, I don't know how many of you guys, again, we kind of went through, we've gone through Genesis, Job, now Exodus. I don't know if anyone hears Leviticus and go, that one? Wait till we talk about numbers. But maybe you stop for a moment and go, okay, what, what is that all about? Can't eat shrimp, can't eat bats. What, what, what is this all about? And I just want to stop for a moment and give you guys kind of a, a quick, if you were, would, introduction to where we're going to be going and the purpose of even the literary structure of these books. If you guys caught in 40 verse 35, look there with me, it says, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting. Stop there for a moment. Yes, we know that there is, there is God's presence there and that's the practical thing. But just imagine what, just put yourself in that moment. This is the glorious moment. The tabernacle is there. His presence is there. And Moses can't get into the presence of God. If you guys would, turn to Leviticus chapter one, verse one. So we have the end of Exodus. Moses cannot get into the tabernacle. Leviticus chapter one, verse one says, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him, from the tabernacle of meeting. So at the end of Exodus, Moses cannot get into the tabernacle. The book of Leviticus starts off saying, I'm speaking to you from the tabernacle. Now, one more jump with me. Turn to Numbers chapter one, verse one. I know, whole chunks. Exodus, end of Exodus, Moses cannot Get into the tabernacle. The book of Leviticus starts off saying God's speaking to him from the tabernacle. Moses isn't in it. Now look at Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting. The literary structure should again draw your mind to somewhere. Wait a second. We ended in Exodus. He can't get into the tabernacle. The book of Leviticus starts. He's not in the tabernacle of meeting. And then when you get to the book of Numbers, wait, him and God are together in the tabernacle. So what is the book of Leviticus about? It's about taking man who can't get into the presence of God into the very presence of God. So as we get ready, as we end the book of 
Exodus heading into Leviticus, that is already our lens view of what are we about to tackle as we go through this book. But for this morning, again, what do I want to leave you guys with is that God's word is intentional in purpose and in its design to fulfill and communicate that purpose to you, to know God and his love for you, to be reminded in this moment as it ends that God is faithful to his word and his promises are true. I want you guys to never lose that God loves you and he wants to be with you and he has made a way for you to experience the fulfillment and fullness of his presence. And by the cross, that way is there that you would have eternal satisfaction in him. And the truth is, is that you can experience that in your life now through trusting and obeying his word. That is why Romans chapter 12 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For anyone who hears that and goes, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know how badly I don't want to do that. I, 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 I want to be with God. There's a, I want to be with God, but I, I don't want to do that. And you find yourself being convicted and, and condemned and to go, I, I, I am a failure in all things that God would want me to be. And for anyone who is feeling that in this moment, this is the promise again that is true by his word. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, being very confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is not about you trying to perform That is why we start with worship. I know it sounds silly. It is not about performance and sounding good. Worship sets the stage to realize, wait a second, I can go into the throne room of God, experience his presence, and it is completely void of my squeaky, squawky, mispitched, off-rhythm clapping self. And God goes, yeah, I love it. I love it. Bring it. Because he says, what I'm going to do with that is something amazing. And that is what all of this comes down to is for anyone in this room who goes, but you don't know how many times I mess up. I don't, he does. And he says, I died for you. I've started a work and I promise I will not leave you or forsake you. I am going to finish my work. That is a promise of God and he is faithful to his word even when we are not. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. And Father, I just, I thank you for this time in, in the book of Exodus. And God, we look forward as we head into uh, Leviticus. And Lord, as, as daunting as some of these moments may be, going through uh, these passages and these verses, God, that we would, we would look at them with the realization that you have an intentional purpose by the very way you set up the structure of your word. That God, that is your inspira- inspired spirit who gave us your word that we could know you and experience you. God, for anyone in this room here, this one that doesn't know you, I pray that it would come to their place, they would come to that place in their life where they know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that they would spend eternity with you because you have made that way possible by your son's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. So Father, as we end out this morning, would we live lives not in condemnation, but Lord, out of gratitude, focused on who you are and what you have planned. Here's what I'm saying.
Amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.